We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the Tweet Machine. Uh, I want to shout out the YouTube channel right quick uh, for everyone who's listening right now, Spotify, Apple, whatever. Remember, we are on YouTube, Seahawks Man to Man. And for you guys watching, what up? Nice to see you. Chris, talk to him. What is up, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206 and that's CKID206. I said, nice to see y'all. We can't see y'all, but you know, you know what, you know what I mean. I'm looking into the camera. I see you guys. Much I feel like I can see you guys. You guys send in questions. You got your profile pictures. We can see. I feel like this is a community space. We love you guys. But anyway, welcome back. Uh, it's our first official uh, official off season episode of the year. We are coming to you guys the day that the Seahawks officially announced that they have fired defensive coordinator Ken Norton Jr. Also fired defensive passing uh, game coordinator. Andre Curtis, and what happened Tuesday. Um, how long has Ken been here? About four or five years. Uh, Andre's been here a little longer than that. Um, both of them let go. Uh, this is kind of following a pattern that that uh, Pete Carroll has had in years where the Seahawks don't make the playoffs. He looks around. He's like, well, look, I'm not going anywhere. So somebody else has to go. Uh, if you guys remember, me and Chris did a pod after the 2017 season when they didn't make the playoffs. And Pete got everybody up out the paint. He fired Daryl Bevel, fired Tom Cable, fired defensive coordinator Chris Richard. And that that final move is one that we weren't a fan. We weren't a fan of that one, right? Like we put that on wax. I remember me and you personally saying that we put that on, on wax though, right? That we were yeah, we did. Of uh, we just didn't think it made sense. It was like the defense is not gonna get like markedly better if they get rid of Chris Richard. And what do you know? It didn't. Uh but <laughs> In, um, there's two comparisons I want to make here as we dive into like what do Mike and Chris think about this. The one is Chris Richard because I really feel like we couldn't have expressed that enough. Like that was like that was that that didn't seem like it was going to make anything better. Uh, it really and it didn't. I even ran into Chris Richard at the combine uh, like maybe two years later when he was working for Dallas. I want to say I was like, bro, what the hell? And he was like, man, you know, Chris Richard was like, you know, you know, and it just. We talked for a little bit. I won't tell, tell you. I won't say what he said, but it, we were seeing eye to eye. He rocked with us, in our opinion. 
Let's put it put it that way for reasons that made sense. Uh, but then here we go to and last year they fired Shoddy. Oh. Chris are like, well, hmm, <laughs> what's that gonna do? <laughs> And it really didn't do much. You know, the <laughs> offense was about as good or bad as it's been. It's, it had most of the same flaws. It just dressed it up against a few different teams. And it was a little, <laughs> a little different, right? So I say all that to preface this Ken Norton discussion, because when people have asked me what I think, because it's basically broke Monday night. Um, shout out to Bob Condota and Adam Jude at the Times. Got the good scoop on that. Um, they, got, they scooped it while I was in the middle of my drinking game with the Russell Wilson Manning cast on Monday Night Football. So that was a little rude by Bob and Adam. No heads up from them. That's cool, guys, whatever. But uh, as people have asked me about it, it's like, we're right back where this is shoddy all over again, to a yeah. lesser extent. And to to explain that a little bit, with when you have an offensive court, excuse me, when you have a head coach who has an offensive philosophy, whatever that is, whether that's run the ball, throw the ball, doesn't matter. Uh, when you have the same quarterback, in this case, it's Russ, your offense ain't going to change but so much. I've said this before. If I was the OC in Seattle, if Chris was the OC in Seattle, if my loud-ass neighbors upstairs were the OCs in Seattle and you had Russ and Pete, the offense is going to have the same problems and the same strengths. By and large, few scheme tweaks here and there, right? The defense is in a very similar place. You have Pete Carroll and his core philosophies. You know, who we got? Russ the passer, you know, without blitzing. What else Pete like to do? Limit explosive passing uh, pass plays. I'm missing a big one. Oh, turnovers. Most turnovers, right? Those those three things for the most part is what he wants. Oh, and stop the run. That's it. Those are the core things. Like let's do that no matter what. Whether we're playing football in the 1800s and 1900s or the 3000s, those are the cores that Pete has. All right, cool. Pete also oversees personnel, so it's like here I pick the guys. I have the philosophy. Do what I say. Chris, you could be the defensive coordinator and do that, and you go have the same problems. If I give you the same pass rushers and the same linebackers and and the, and the same type of the same DBs, you gonna go out there and you gonna have the type of defense Ken Norton had. And my and like, I feel like we're in the same spot. When did Shotty get fired? What a year ago, last week or something yeah. like that. Like we're we're damn near twelve months to the damn day. Probably I could look it up. And here we are. We're back right back. Back to on the other side, one. Of the talking about the same Pete firing the coordinator, that feels like it's not going to be the impactful move that this team needs to get over the hump. Yeah, we talked about it off wax, and the question is, okay, who do you bring in? What's their, what are they going to bring to this defense that we haven't seen, or that's going to make this defense pop? Meaning, when by pop, I mean better. What's going to have this defense getting after the quarterback, forcing turnovers, stopping the run consistently? Because the first half of the season, it's been a pattern the last two seasons for sure. The first half of the season, not so much getting to the pass, getting to the quarterback. Pass rush isn't where it needs to be. Turnovers, not really there. Then the second half of the season, things flip. Oh, we had a big meeting. Bringing in guys in 2020, wow, 2021, 2020, excuse me. They had a big meeting. Mm-hmm. Players come together, they rally. Oh, look at that. The defense. Some things just clicked this past season. Carlos Dunlap, he's not being used the way he should be. He has a conversation with Pete Carroll and a couple other guys stating, hey, what's my role? Well, this is how I think I can better this defense. What do you know? Carlos Dunlap, Rasheem Green, a bunch of other guys step up. Defense finds a rhythm. And here we are in 2022, no no defensive coordinator 
at this moment, I'm sure the Seahawks are working to find someone, but it's kind of back to square one of, okay, well, what's going to change? As Mike mentioned, philosophy is probably going to be the same. Whoever you bring in is going to run Pete's defense, just as we saw with the offense. Whoever they bring in is going to run Pete's offense. Nothing's changed. It's I don't even want to say it's a remix. It's the alternate version. <laughs> you, can and call, now, you can call it the remix. We'll call it the remix. I guess, but what's going to change? <laughs> Just the name of the D coordinator that comes in? Because ultimately, we're based on what we're seeing with this defense. They play a lot of cover, two. They put everything. Mike and I talked about it. They play a little bit of everything last season. But Pete's main thing is cover three. They don't have the defense to do that. They don't have the coverage to be able to play cover three where they just send two corners deep in your middle safety, and that's it. They don't have that luxury right now. They're looking to get back to that, but if you bring in a new defensive coordinator, well, what's he going to be left with? The same issues that Ken Norton Jr. was having. Now this becomes an uphill battle. Unless you're banking on the Seahawks having talent, being able to get guys in free agency, being able to draft guys and coming in and making this defense better than what it has been these last two to three seasons, I don't know if getting rid of Ken Norton was the all-end-all answer. And, and I, we should, I should say this. I don't know if Chris shares this opinion, but I, I, I've been asked about Ken before all the time, really, mostly in some of those years where they were really bad. Like 2019, <laughs> that defense was not good. Like they needed trading for Quandre to save their ass. Like we, Hopefully people didn't forget how that went. It was not going well. Um, and I think in 2020, we all remember that first half of that season, they were just god awful. They were god like that. The team, the defense was so bad that the guys on defense were mad after they were winning. Like I remember after the Cowboys game, Shaq's up there like, "Man, we didn't play well." It's like, "Well, you won." It's like, "Yeah, but not because of us." Even though Ryan Neal sealed the game with a, um, an interception in that, but that was just one example where it was like, "Dang, man, like we're not playing well on defense and we're winning," but. It's they were so upset even when they were winning. That's how big of a deal uh, the defense was. And people have asked me, I've, 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 I've kind of made this pretty clear. Like, I don't think we really know what Ken is or is not doing, you know, and what Pete is or is not doing on some like people have complaints and legitimate complaints. Like we've talked about them. I think their two minute defense has usually been trash. <laughs> um, they do too much prevent. <laughs> yeah. They get real preventy and then end up giving up points, which is the opposite of not preventing anything. I guess they're ruining a touchdown. <laughs> Um, the pass rush has been non-existent since the Frank trade, um, and, he, and even a little before that, um, basically since Mike Bennett got traded, the pass rush has basically been non-existent outside of that second half of the 2020 season when they just caught fire and were like the best pass rush in the league. Um, other than that, pretty been non-existent. Uh, yeah, they just do some things. I've had my complaints, but I really think we don't know who's in charge of what, who's who's putting who out there, you know, like – I think one of the questions we got last week, um, someone asked, what would you, what are three questions you would tell Jody to ask Pete Carroll and John Snyder if they sat them down? And I think one of them I suggested was like, hey, I need to know who's been drafting because one of you guys needs to get fired, right? Because you're not drafting well. Um, the same thing would be with some of the critiques there. If you ask me if I, I want to get Pete and Ken in the room, but I want to ask you guys, okay, so who stuck with Trey Flowers that long? Like, one of you guys needs to go. I don't really care who it is. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say it's probably Pete. Pete, I no. think that was Pete, too, but I don't know. But it's stuff like <laughs> that. It was like, yeah. all right, who did that? Because everyone in their mama knew starting 2021 
that was not like you, you guys have ridden this thing out too long. You've already benched the man twice, and now you're putting him back out there. And it, it, it was a disaster three weeks in, and everyone's like, guys, we could have told you this three weeks ago. Like, I need to know who's doing stuff like that. I think also in that answer last week, I was like, okay, who's been drafting the DBs for the past, I don't know, everybody since Jeremy Lane? Like, who's, <laughs> who's been doing that? Whoever's been drafting those guys, maybe you should go. You know, not the guy who's, you know, if you give me, like, look at this year, right? And I, I've talked to some people about the firing. Uh, oh, sorry, I didn't make my point about Ken. My point about Ken is I've kind of come to the conclusion that, like, I don't think he was the problem. You know, like, like I said, I don't think firing him does much. Um, firing Andre Curtis, I don't know how much that does either. Um, we know very little about what Ken does. We know even less about what I, I'll, I'll be honest. I know nothing about what Mr. Curtis does. With that and dude. I talk to, uh, talk to Dre all the time. <laughs> We're not like homies, but you see, I just called him Dre. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> what up, Mike? Clearly, <laughs> like he knows my name and everything. Um, you know, so like I talk have to I him. seen him, Mike? Can you give me huh? that info? Have I seen him before? I had to have. Yeah. I just didn't. I just. Yeah, he'd be out there. He was the, this year. He was the only one wearing a mask. He was the only coach wearing a mask. I didn't catch short, that. Stocky, dark, dark skinned brother with the. Uh, I think he has waves. Um, kind of grayish black hair. Um, but yeah, he. But I barely know what he does. Not to say he, he was doing nothing. It's just like we don't get a lot of insight into what the coordinators and some of the position coaches are responsible for. But, like, I don't think Ken was necessarily the problem. At the same time, I think it's fair to say, like, he was not going to coordinate a championship-caliber defense. And that was right. He, yeah. he wasn't the answer either, you know. I, I, I think that's probably safe to say. But then again, I could have told you that three years ago, probably after the 2019 season, you know, like, yeah, he's, he's probably not the problem. They probably have bigger problems, which they did. Um, and he's probably not the answer either, but I would sit them down, Pete and like, Ken, like, all right, if I'm going to decide who goes here, tell me who was responsible for the 2017 draft. Go. Tell the truth Tuesdays. <laughs> and I think, I think Ken wasn't even there. So that would be my conclusion. Like, Hey man, you know what? Here, Chris, I'm going to read some people. Oh boy. I'm going to read. This is going to get ugly. I'm going to read every defensive player drafted from 2013 to 2017. Oh, it starts with Jordan Hill. This gets good. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go in order of, what should I go, year? Yeah, let's go in order of year. Let's do that. So we got defensive tackle, Jesse Williams, some guy named Jared Smith, Ty Powell, Daryl Simon, Jordan Hill, Jimmy Staten, Staten, I don't know. Eric Pinkins, Cassius Marsh, Kevin Pierre-Lewis, Christian something, I don't know, some defensive tackle in 2015. Ryan Murphy, Obum, some guy in 2015, some defensive end. Ty Smith, Frank Clark, Quentin Jefferson, Jaron Reed, Mike Tyson, Nas Jones, Lane O'Hill, Malik McDowell, Tedrick Thompson, Shaquille Griffin. Chris, how many good players did I just name? Man. Guys who were good while they're with the Seahawks. I would say Shaquille Griffin is one. Mm -hmm. I really want to say Nas, but he didn't play enough, so I can't do that. No. I'll say Jay Reed is two. Mm -hmm. um, I want to say Q Jeff. Q think, Jeff's Mark? a solid. He's a solid rotational guy for sure. Frank Clark, that's four. Um, you can stop because you're not going to get anybody after that. Uh, Cassius Marsh is cool. He's cool. He's been on like eight teams already. Four, four and a half, teams. Mike. <laughs> that is, Chris, that is not, I named 22 guys or whatever, 23. I've messed up some of those guys' names, but you guys get the point. Those are the, all the guys drafted 
the years prior to Ken coming back from Oakland mm. to be the defensive coordinator. Not what working with much. What am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that? And it didn't get much better in 2018 and 2019, even when he wasn't. I don't know what role he played in that, like how much say he had in some of the drafting. I don't imagine that it was much. Um, but let's see. Just for just for just for shits and giggles, right? <laughs> Here are all the defensive players drafted by the Seahawks in 2018 and 2019. You ready, Chris? Let's do it. All right, 2018. Trey Flowers, Rasheem Green, Jacob Martin. L- 2019. L.J. Collier, Ugo Amadi, Cody Barton, Shaquem Griffin, Marquise Blair, Ben Burkhurvin, Demarcus Christmas. Chris. What am I supposed to do with that? What am I supposed to do? Like the only, the only one. There's only, yeah. There's ah, that's tough. I would say Rasheem Green. He's finding his role. He is finding his role, which is that doesn't mean he's good, but he's definitely playing well. He's he's a solid, solid player. He was a 79th pick, solid player. And And then then it gets quiet. That's it. Jacob Martin is actually a, is probably the best player that I named, but he don't play for the Seahawks no more. Well, that was that's why I didn't mention him because he's not even on the roster. They traded him. They they traded him for Clowney. Yeah, he was in the Clowney trade with Barkevius Mingo, who's still in the league, I believe. Um, but the, the the reason I'm naming these guys is that it's not this is not like a Ken apology podcast. Just like the Ken the Chris Richard one we did, I have to go back and listen to it. That probably was an apology apologist <laughs> podcast. What were you apologize. thinking? Yeah, I thought Pete was wrong there. Like currently, I'm just like. One reason why I'm thinking it matters is like if I give you, you know, if I make seven picks or whatever on defense in 2019 or whatever it was, and the best one is Ugo, what am I supposed to do with that? What am I supposed to do with that? You know, like in 2017, they drafted four DBs. You know, only Shaq panned out, you know, like to another con well, didn't even get to a contract with the Seahawks. They were like, Yeah, we're not paying you. <laughs> right. And it's just I think that's that, that's the step one when you evaluate what's really wrong with the Seahawks defense. And I think paying fools, that's one step. You think you know pay, pay him. You I don't care. Who, I went through some some I'm not gonna read them all because it was an ugly list, but I went through some of their free agent signings on defense mm-hmm. since about 2013. It is ugly. The best one is basically Bradley McDougal. That says a lot. And they've made some decent trades. The Quandre trade was good. The Carlos Dunlap trade was good. But um, but to your point, they made those trades because they missed in drafts. Bingo. <laughs> Justin made, Coleman. Yeah. Justin Coleman trade was probably their best one. Oh, the he came in and lit things up. Nickelback oh, was they, doing his – come on, man. And they gave up like a seventh to get him or something like that. They didn't give up – they gave up nothing. <laughs> yeah, the math on that ends up – I think they ended up giving up effectively Cassius Marsh. I, said, I have to go back and look. at. But the point is their free agent signings ain't good. They don't draft well. And you're just telling Ken – here, man, and Andre, because I just named all the DBs. Here, man, figure it, it out, guys. <laughs> They're about, what the hell? Hey, run what cover three. <laughs> run cover three with Tedrick. Come what? on, talk. What? What are you talking about? <laughs> no, we're going to lose. <laughs> I'm using the tape. I can't do that. It's tough. It doesn't Dude, work. With that in mind, honestly, I could make an argument if I really wanted to. I wouldn't, but I could make one that's like, nah, man, given what he was given personnel-wise, he should probably, Ken should probably stay. You know, based on who's gonna come in and fix it. That was to my point earlier. Yeah, I think I think the personnel is the first thing you gotta look at. You know, and the twenty to, to their credit, the twenty twenty draft. Honestly, since then, since since that twenty nineteen draft, that was a, a disaster. Um, the whole draft was pretty bad. You got DK in it, and then that was pretty. That was, pretty that was it. Shit. But the twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one drafts on defense 
are looking a little better. Jordan yeah, Brooks, Jordan Brooks DT. Taylor, yeah, Alton Robinson, Trey Stay Brown. Healthy. Like I like all of the guys I just named. You know, I think they're some decent, solid players, and I think the superstar potential is DT. And I think everyone else can just be solid, which is like not great, but it's better than the, the names I just read. That that I think that's what you really gotta you gotta start with. Um, when you're talking about what went wrong in Seattle and why fire Ken and what was Ken's fault and, and what, well, yeah, it. we don't know. That's the crazy part. It's not, you can ask Pete, Hey Pete, what is Ken Norton's responsibilities? Does he have a lot of say here? And people would say, I might get into that. Yeah. You know, and you that know I get it. He doesn't want anybody to know, you know, what goes on within the organization. There's some things he wants people to know and some things he doesn't, but when it comes down to breaking down why someone got let go, I feel Maybe not, I feel. I think that would be important information moving forward because now you can say, oh, this is what Ken Norton did. Ken Norton was responsible for drafting LJ Collier, Marquise Blair. He had a big say on that, but we don't know. We don't have the information. We're going off of what we're watching. We're going off what's been said, and that's basically trying to put the pieces of this puzzle together, but it, it's, we can't do it. So not having information really, there's questions. Damn, did Ken really deserve to lose his job based on personnel and based on what he's been asked to do. Those are questions that only Ken Norton would be able to answer. And maybe we could reach out to Ken and see he wants to come on the pod and we could talk to him about. He's probably not going to throw Pete under the bus. On the no, he's not going to throw it on the bus, but maybe we get an inside look on the defense and who has say. I think that would be great. Uh, <laughs> I think. Wishful thinking. The other, the other thing is what, when you draft poorly, you have to make those trades. Like, look at, so put it this way, they spent, and some of this is great, some of it's not, but relative to cost, they spent a first-round pick on Jamal Adams, a first-round pick on Jamal Adams, a third-round pick on Jamal Adams, a seventh-round pick and a lot more money on Carlos, a fifth-round pick and a lot more money on Quandre. Like, when you do things like that, yes, you get the veteran. And in some cases, I'm cool with getting the veteran when you're trying to win right now. But what that does is that not only did you give away those picks, you you compromise depth like who you could have taken in these drafts would probably be a nice little depth piece to slide in instead at cornerback in particular you're got you're grabbing guys off the damn scrap heap before the year starts sydney jones Wes, Wes Austin, come on up. Yeah. sydney jones we ain't had you all camp but pull up you might start in a few weeks you know john <laughs> reed we might need you bro bro so come on like you shouldn't have to and that's no shade to those guys but you shouldn't have to do that that yeah. shouldn't be like if you're Ken, like by the end, well, by week 18, the, the 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 back seven by the end of the game was Josh Jones, Nigel Warrior, DJ Reed, and I can't, I can't even remember who was starting at left. Was Sydney back there? I honestly don't even I don't even remember. Like their secondary, maybe it was bless. They played bless Austin against the Rams. John Reed against the Rams in that game. Like at that point, what are we what are we doing here? So I do think the personnel part. Is is important. Like I need to know who's in charge of that because when you when you draft poorly, you have to make trades to make up for it, and then you lose depth. So when you do have a Trey Brown blow his knee out or whatever, you shouldn't have to go to to Sydney, who who played all right. But you you get the point. So I do think if you ask the, the bottom of the screen here for people on YouTube, like, oh, what's next, man? We don't know. <laughs> talent. You need talent. I take. I was, I was talking to somebody today. I was via text. Somebody who knows the. Um, the ins and outs of the defense pretty, pretty well. It's not, not a player. Um, but I was like, am I tripping to say that it doesn't matter who 
it doesn't matter what scheme you guys are running. If you got, got guys who can't cover or guys who can't rush the passer, all they said was exactly with an exclamation point. Like, yeah, who, who cares who's out there? Not who cares. It does matter. But it's like you got you to gotta get better personnel. There ain't no defensive coordinator out there routinely fielding top 10 defenses with scrubs or just rotational guys. They got stars. Look at all the best defenses. They have stars, star power out, out there. And, you know, I think that, I mean, Dan Quinn's probably a really good defensive coordinator. But, I mean, it's it's probably not rocket science. Look at all the good players that Dallas has now, too, though. Like, they drafted probably the best defensive player, a top five defensive player in football, and Michael Parsons. Parsons. Mm-hmm. So now the defense is better. It's not rocket science. <laughs> you know, they drafted Trevon Diggs 2020. Uh, he's in year two now balling. Well, yeah, the defense is better on top of having Gregory and Demarcus Lawrence and some of the other guys. So I think that uh, the personnel part is so huge when we talk about what's next and what Ken did or did not do. And that's before we even get into Chris. They probably disagreed on just some. We're probably right back on philosophical differences, too. Yeah, you know? there's no Yeah, there's no telling what Ken might have had in mind. We were talking about it off wax. He could have said, hey, I want to do a lot more cover zero. And cover zero is basically we're blitzing the hell out of you and everybody's manned up. Ken's thinking, do you not see what I'm looking at? How can I adjust to that? You saw what happened when we played Minnesota. We weren't even doing it. We weren't even blitzing. And they were lighting us up. And now you want us to go cover zero and covering these receivers. I don't know if I like that. And Pete's maybe disagreeing, stating that I think we can do it. I'm not saying this is true, but this is just an example of philosophical differences between these guys. Right. If that is the case, because that could be the case. Yeah, it could be, but we don't know. With that being said, that goes back to talent, free agency. Sierra's got to be able to get some corners in. You want to bring back DJ Reed. He is someone that you, you got to find a way to pay him. And I did mention they didn't pay Shaq. They should have paid Shaq. They didn't couldn't the Seahawks have paid Shaq, Mike, if I'm not mistaken? Did you can pay anybody you want in the NFL? Okay. Let back. me let me back up. I really up. think that some uh, an agent told me that once at the combine say you can afford anybody you want if you want them better enough. The Seahawks didn't want that the is Saints true. Are paying Taysom Hill like he owns the goddamn Saints. <laughs> you know, like, and they don't even have any money. They never have That's any money. They pay everybody. Including that is true. Taysom Hill. Like this, you can you can pay whoever you want if you want them bad enough. And nobody wants anybody in the world more than Sean Payton wants Taysom Hill. Like the Seahawks. You know. <laughs> no, you're right. The Seahawks did not want to pay Shaquille that much money. I thought, was he well deserving of it? Probably not. Sure. He had a couple of blunders, mistakes. But the talent pull out there and what the Seahawks ended up getting, it didn't work out. Did you hear the corners I just read to you? Yeah. <laughs> it was bad. It was bad. <laughs> Having DJ Reed and Shaquille Griffin, I think, gives you a game, maybe two games. Maybe against that Washington football team, if Shaq is there, that play doesn't even happen. These are things that you have to look at and say, you know, I, I'm, I'm just pinpointing examples because that's the first thing that came to my mind, but that's the veteran cornerback in Shaquille Griffin that knows where to be, knows what could be coming, has been studying the film, has been studying the tape, not saying that where was on coverage on that play. Who was it, Mike? Oh, what play are you talking about? When he came across the middle for the touchdown, Washington football team. Hmm. They went football team. Did they score? I think J.D. McKissick scored both of their touchdowns. Did well, they I even guess, throw for one? I, I guess that's that's no. I guess the only example would be the Chicago Bears, and that was just an incredible catch. One hand holding it out there. But these are little things that you just got to go out and pay a man, like Mike said. If you want them, you can pay him. Seahawks said, we're not going to pay you that money. He went and got paid, secured the bag. Unfortunately, his team stunk, 
but he, <laughs> when oh, you get <laughs> when you get in bread, it makes up maybe just a little bit. Just saying, but I do think this offseason is key in finding that talent that can come in and be a coverage guy that can fit well with DJ Reed. But the ultimate thing is you gotta you gotta pay DJ. And I'd be stunned if the Seahawks say we're gonna let him walk, which would be mind-boggling. I don't know what they have planned and who they might be looking at. The draft's coming up. Maybe there's a couple of corners that the Seahawks can get, but DJ Reed is someone that, you know, there's a top three list of things you need to get done. He is in that top three of we got to bring him back. You got to have someone solid on that outside corner, and hopefully you can build from that with this new defensive coordinator and the scheme that Pete wants to run. And and my thing on free agents, and I, I tell those people all the time too, I don't care who you pay and who you don't. Ain't my money. You know, <laughs> you know, I would prefer the guys who are good players and they're good interviews, but that's selfish on my part. Ultimately, yeah. it ain't my money. I don't care. They don't give me no cut. But I do think if you decide not to, you need to have a plan mm. and a good plan. That's all. Just just have a plan. Sometimes plans don't fall, you know, go through. Like I think trading Frank to then draft um, a, a pass rusher with your first round pick is not a bad plan, right? They added a first round pick in that deal. Um, they ended up using it on LJ, which was bad. But the plan was not like terrible. Yeah, you um, lose a defensive pass rush, you try and go and get one. Makes yeah, sense. Yeah, and you get one relative to the cost too. Like Frank makes yeah. twenty million dollars a year, so you're. LJ was probably making like two or whatever. Yeah. Like you can, I understood the math on that. And I wasn't mad at that. Getting LJ was the execution of the plan was bad. The plan was fine. Whereas cutting Sherm to then like plan on starting Dante Johnson and Byron Maxwell, and then end up starting Trey flowers in the following season. That was stupid. That was a terrible plan from the jump. <laughs> and it got executed. Even The execution was even worse. So my, that's what my thing on paying guys or, or not paying it, whether it's DJ Reed or Shaq or this year, Quandre, whoever, you know, I don't, it's, that's kind of my rule of thumb, whether, you know, you, if you're not going to pay a guy, fine, ain't my money. Mike gets $0 when these guys get paid. So don't care. Chris gets $0. The show gets $0. We don't care. Uh, but you got to have a plan, right? You, you have to. Um, but I do think, and uh, I, I noted this, because um, somebody, you know, like I said, Adam and Bob at the Seattle Times are kind of all over this. And even Adam kind of, you know, mentioned that Pete's kind of going to pivot from the philosophy and wants to be, quote, more attack minded, which Uh-oh. is probably a hint. At, yeah, attack minded. Don't know what that means. Not going <laughs> to ask. But that would make sense, though, that that's kind of our first sign at philosophical differences. You can probably imply that if that's what Pete wanted and he got rid of Ken, it may not be what Ken wanted. Maybe Ken didn't want to attack. Maybe Ken didn't want to blitz more. Maybe he didn't want to play more man. You know, whatever attack means. Attack usually means those things. You blitz, you play man, you get in people's face, you bring the fight to the offense. It's usually what that means in football. Maybe Ken didn't want to do those things. Maybe he did. He was like, dude, we don't have guys who can attack. (laughs) How about you get me some attack guys and we could be attack minded all the hell you want. Um, I don't know if if that was Ken's thinking, but I mean, we can read. We got to read between the lines of some of this stuff. They're not just going to tell us. Last year was different with the philosophical differences quote. They told us. They ain't going to tell us again, so we got to read between the lines. But that quote right there, you know, is something that I've kind of heard in the past. But now it's like now seeing Adam put that out there, it's like, oh, okay, there's probably something to that. Um, it's, but it's like, all right, how can you have an attack mindset with guys who ain't built like that? How can you have an attack mindset when you're sitting back in a split safety looks and Jamal is 20 yards from the, from the line of scrimmage off the line when he's better close to the line? He's supposed to be attacking, you know. I think how they used him was okay because he can come downhill a little bit more um, from depth the way he did. But, like, the way he was used was trash this year. 
uh, I, I I thought like in totality, especially hearing Pete explain why he wasn't rushing as much. We'll get into that when we get into the the Q and A part of the show. Um, but if and I bring all that up to say, if you're going to have philosophical differences again with your coordinator, another coordinator, another side of the ball, philosophical differences, you're not going to really change too much of the core philosophy. Like maybe they'll go to some split safety stuff because that's kind of what you have to do now. Everybody's doing it. Ain't nobody out here running a good defense that's just covered three anymore. You can't do that. Offenses are too smart. They run too many different formations. They, they figured out how to beat that stuff. They did. You can't do that. So Pete's probably going to change there, but the core philosophies won't change. The guy running the personnel won't change. You're having philosophical differences again. Well, damn, man. Chris, we're going to be right back here in a year or two. Uh, like Pete said, I'm in good shape, guys. <laughs> yeah, he's in good shape. Everybody else is like, hey, man, are you saying we're not philosophically aligned with you? Even if you might be wrong, we get canned? Mm. Man, hold up. What's going on with that? And I, I think that's that's where, that's where the coordinator stuff is so – difficult to digest and explain and assess people ask us when we talk i think we got some questions about that yep. who should they hire who should they look at does it matter we're right back here again just like we said with shane last year shane waldron does it matter what, what's shane gonna do that that daryl bevel ain't think of that that um brian schottenheimer ain't think of you know not much probably not much you know not to say those guys are not different minds but you can only change but so much in football in particular, that you, you got to start at the top when you're looking at stuff. You know, I was telling somebody, we can get to the questions, but uh, I was telling somebody today, I was like, in that meeting with Jody and Pete and John or whoever met, you know, I think that the main thing that was going to change the Seahawks, if you weren't going to fire anybody, you know, like, like we're going to keep me, like Pete's like, we're, I'm going to stay, John's going to stay, Jody, we got this. Let's figure this out. Even if we're going to keep Russ. I was like, I was telling somebody today, I was like, the only thing that would probably really be impactful out of that meeting is if Jody was like, Pete, that's fine. But you are wearing a lot of hats. You're damn near our secondaries coach. You're damn near our defensive coordinator. You're damn near our, our head coach. And then you're also our GM. Take one of these hats off, my guy. Take one. It doesn't really matter which one. Just take one of them off. And maybe we can go in a different direction. Person, I would prefer the this, – this is just me, not Jody. But I, I would probably prefer the personnel hat. But either way, that's just a lot of hats that have caused a lot of issues over time. It's like if you're not going to take off any of those hats and nobody else is really going to take off any other hats of significance other than getting rid of Ken, what's really supposed to change? Hmm. What's really going to change? Chris, what the defense was – here, I'm gonna read you some. You said, you some. I think it was 17th, right? EPA. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna read. You, yeah, it was um, not good in terms of EPA per play, but I'm gonna read you the DVOA numbers. That's Football Outsiders uh, metric that's uh, adjusted for opponent. So that means if you smoke the Lions, it adjusts for that because it's, it's defense adjusted value over average is what DVOA stands for. So like you know, it it basically is relative. Which is good. I like those type of metrics because you do have to account for smoking the Jaguars and Lions and Texans versus playing close games with Washington, New Orleans, and Minnesota. Chicago. Yeah, <laughs> losing to Chicago. Uh, like those are important things to measure because that's basically the Seahawks season. They smoked some really bad teams and then beat some teams close that weren't actually that good. Cardinals. Um, but I'm going to read this is their DVOA numbers under Ken. Just total defensive uh, uh, rating. 
13th, or excuse me, in 2018, his first year, they were 17th. 2019, they were 21st. 2020, they were 16th. 2021, they were 21st, right? So never really great, about average to below average every year under Ken. Chris, I'm going to ask you this. Assuming they have like a normal offseason, like a normal Seahawk offseason, like they just don't go crazy in free agency. Facts. They have they have a, they have a good draft. They don't have a 2012 or a 2011 or 10 draft. They have like a 2020, 2020 yeah. or 2019. I'll, no, 2019 was bad. I mean, 2020 I'll, then. 2020 I mean, it was like a, a draft like a 2015. 2015 they got Tyler Lockett. Okay. Stud Frank Clark. Stud Scrubs. Right. So let's say they have a draft like that, which is realistic. That's usually that's how why I happens. said 2020 was good. You know, Jordan Brooks good. Daryl Taylor good. I think Daryl Taylor, the, the 2020 draft, I think has potential to be like excellent. Okay. But back to your point, 2015 draft class, go ahead. Excellent, but like really good. But let's say they have one of those. So they have a regular free agent period where they bring back most of their guys, which is what they do. You know, their biggest free agent signing in the past two years is what, given Ed Dixon three-year deal, or they gave Jaron Reed some money. Like they don't Greg Olson. Yeah, Greg Olson got a lot of money. So, you know, Ben Samuel got a lot of money one of those years, I think, or Bruce Irvin. So let's assume that they have a Seahawkey free agency, a Seahawkey draft, like a 2015 type of draft, maybe. They have one of those. Where do you think what's the highest you think they would they they could realistically finish with a new defensive coordinator in 2020 or 2022 in DVOA? Like where do you think they could get to with a def- new defensive coordinator and a typical Seahawk offseason? 17th. So an average defense. Yes. Defense can probably be average. That's the best. The worst, 23rd, 24th. So average to below average again. Back to square one. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of where that's where I'm at too. You know, but I think maybe it depends on who they bring back and who they don't. I think that's the biggest thing. And that's when you talk about personnel, who they bring back and who they go out and get. That's why that top three list, DJ Reed's got to be somewhere in there. You can't just, oh, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll figure it out. Terrible I, I already. Do, I do like that uh, in a perfect world, a starting secondary and base defense that has Carlos Dunlap. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Daryl Taylor, Bobby Wagner, Jordan Brooks, Trey Brown, DJ Reed, Quandre, whose whose foot is broke, but he should be fine by. That sounds good on paper. That yeah, I hear that, and I'm like, 
I'm thumbs up. Hello. That's, that's not actually that bad. And then you know, uh, Puna, Brian Monet, you know, in the, like that as actually, like I just named a base defense. I guess I need a. I think I need a nickel in that. Um, oh, it ain't Ugo. Um, yeah, I need I need a new nickel in that. Um, Gotta figure that add, out. Or I add a Sam linebacker in that. So maybe I add, maybe Daryl's my Sam, and then I add, you know, I bring Rasheen back or something like that. Like that defense is not like saving the world. But it's probably fine. Like, I think that could probably get up to about 12th in DVOA, depending. I have to look at their schedule again. But like, but my point is that you're only gonna get so much better if you don't have a 2012 type of draft, a 2011 type of draft, a 2010 type of draft, or you find the next Cliff Averill or Michael Bennett in free agency. You can't just keep doing the same thing, make a tweak here or there, start attack mindsetting it. And, you know, that's just not going to get it done. I really think that this is one of those, I don't know, it just it just seems like more of a cosmetic change than anything else. It seems like, oh, dang, my car, my car won't start every week, you know, like, dang, it'd be messing up. You know, I can't always get to work. So I just I just paint the car. Well, Mike, you need to fix the engine or else it's not going to get you to work just because you change your car from blue to red. It just means it looks different. It's still the same car that doesn't work. Like that's kind of where the Seahawks are. Pete, Pete just painting the car, different colors. Like that's not gonna get you to work. Super Bowl, <laughs> or in this case, work would be in my analogy a Super Bowl. You know that that that's kind of to sum up what we've been talking about. That's kind of where I'm at with this. Like should Ken have gone? I don't know. We don't know. But I think we can both confidently say that unless more things change than just Ken and then Andre Curtis too. Like that was a. I don't want to act like he didn't lose his job too, but unless more things change than that, we're gonna be right back here. What day is it? The I'm looking at my watch that I January eighteenth. The eighteenth. We're gonna be right back here in 2024 or wherever. <laughs> probably 2023 because somebody getting fired if they don't win the Super Bowl next year. Let's be really. Well, I I don't unless they seriously hit gold and draft and they bring in they resign they figure out a way to move money around for Bobby. They pay DJ pay Quandre. And then pay more. You need to pay more guys, though. Like that's the other thing. You need to bring in more pass rushers. You need to bring in more uh, corners. You know, uh, I think. But I just think that there's so much that needs to change beyond, like discussing the merits of Ken getting fired or not is like fun. Like that's cool. We did that. All right, that took 10, 20 minutes or whatever. The what's next part is so important and there's so many things that need to change beyond just all right you got a new guy wearing the headset <laughs> my boy y'all ain't rushed the passer since nom that is a problem y'all ain't got turnover like, they were good in turnover 2020 but like 2021 y'all couldn't get an interception to save your life unless quandre was reading quarterbacks like that's not good they were like good situationally on defense this year they were really weird defense they were like good on third down fourth down in the red zone on the goal line they were great they were pretty great in all those areas everywhere else bad pretty much yeah. except the run defense the run defense was good and it's just like you they have variations of those same problems pretty much every year it's just like stop eventually you got to stop painting the car get in yeah. the car fix it, it up you know, do, do, something. do something. Yeah, change the brakes. <laughs> I don't know. This is my analogy. I'm just making it up. But like you got to do more. The what's next here has to be more than just changing out a name, or else Pete's next defensive coordinator is going to be another bald black guy, and it's next. 
<laughs> love him a bald black guy as a coordinator. He do. He do. I swear he do. He loves all bald guys. But glad, uh, you can have another bald black guy as a coordinator. Ain't nothing going to change. Who's the new guy that uh, is supposed to be the coordinator? What they're talking about? Clint Hurt do it? Yep. Is Clint bald? He's bald. He sure to help. There it is. There it is. <laughs> The well, let's get to it. <laughs> we got a black guy. Dude, what's, what's this other guy? This Ed Donatel dude that worked for the Bronx? Is he is he bald? Hold on. Uh oh. Let, Let me see. Dog, he's bald. Yep. Oh man. Here Hell, even the Rams secondary coach, the Frenchman, bald. Uh yeah. Oh, he's from. Is he? Is he from the UK? The, from the other side. Oh okay. Uh <laughs> yeah, he's. He gonna have, Pete's going to hire some bald brothers, and then we're going to be right back here. Unless major things change, or like you said, Chris, they strike gold in the draft. Because if you don't – if you, it's the same thing we talked about with offense. How I'd be like, if you if you got five fat dudes who can block, you run whatever the hell you want. Man. The same thing. When you got studs on defense, you can run cover three and just line up and beat the other team all day or cover two or whatever. When you don't have that, you have to get all creative and basically pray for depth and health, and that's just not – that's just not how it works. So, like, they have a lot. They have a lot more work to do than this. That is true. Maybe, we got maybe, a lot of work. Things change going forward, but they need like it has to be a major, major change, not just get rid of two guys. No, I hear you on that. We got some work to get done here with some Twitter questions. We got quite a few, so we want to thank you guys for. We didn't have a plan on when we were going to record. I'll just throw that out there. So the fact that Mike was able to just drop it around mid afternoon and people were like, "Oh yeah, we got questions." We appreciate that. So, Mike, you ready to get this rolling? I am. Let's do it. All right. Here we go. Does Norton being let go increase the chance of Bobby Wagner not being back next season? That's a that's a good question. Um, no, I, I think I'm going to trust Pete's word on that. I'm going to take him at face value. Um, and, and Bobby's, too. They both express some, some optimism about him being around. And I don't think you do that unless you're pretty confident both ways. Like even Pete was like, I don't even know why we would consider, excuse me. I don't even know why we consider not having Bobby next year. And even Bobby was like, I think I'd be all right. Like if, if Bobby wasn't sure he would have worded that differently. I'm not sure how, but he's a pretty meticulous guy in that way. Um, you know, one thing that's interesting though is, you know, cause coaches like their guys, they do like Ken Norton's Bobby's guy and vice versa. I, I do wonder how they were viewing that like they being pete and ken like were they on the same page there that's an interesting one that i, I don't have an answer for i haven't heard anything or asked anybody but that would be an interesting one like did they see eye to eye on you know where bobby was in his career what he was good at what he needed to work on you know and how that went because i wondered that about like kj too was like ken's ken's gonna ride for his guys those are his guys and they were performing and it's like, okay, how did Pete see it? Not to say that there was any dis, you know, disagreement there, but who knows? That's 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 one thing I, I think about. But no, I don't I don't think Ken necessarily being gone impacts that necessarily. It could, but like I don't think there's enough autonomy on the part of a new guy to come in here and be like, we gotta get 54 out of here. Like, think about that. Think of the balls you gotta have. You walk into the Seahawks building. You the new dude. You're like, hey, I'm looking at this roster, guys. 54 is not it. Excuse me? Where's that contract? Well, we throw you out of here like Phil throwing out uh, Jazzy Jeff in the Fresh Prince. Well, you get out of here. 
But I do think that co coordinators can have similar influence, but not to that magnitude. Like how Shane Waldron probably really advocated for Gerald Everett. Like that's mm. fine. You know, something like that. It, it was one year deal. It was like six million bucks. That type of stuff. Sure, for sure. You walk in and be like, we got to trade or cut Bobby. I, I just don't think a new guy can have that type of sway. This one, assuming the new defensive coordinator has some control over scheme, how would you like to see Jamal Adams being used? And what, how can the Seahawks get the best out of him? We kind of touched on that before, but go ahead and reiterate it, Mike. No, I think this is, this is really, really, really important because the only way to justify... I'm not really sure where I stand on like whether the Jamal trade was good or whatever. I don't necessarily care, but I do think if you're going to justify it, you had to put Jamal in the position to rush the passer. You had to. If you do not, that's the, that definitely cannot justify. It. Then it becomes bad. Like that makes it bad. Like 2020, Jamal came in here last year with no preseason, bad elbow dislocated shoulder broken fingers was their best pass rusher made the pro bowl in the new scheme come on like that's that's a he's a baller but what he was most effective was near the ball and near the line of scrimmage and getting after the quarterback in 2021 let pete carroll tell it he basically was like look dude every time we put 33 near the line of scrimmage they adjusted we couldn't we couldn't make it happen so it's like okay after one freaking year you let the, all, every team scheme you out of using jamal as a pass rusher that sounds like coaching incompetence to me. So I do think that has to change immediately. Like, I just don't think that you can justify that transaction just to have him what he was doing. He was doing a lot in the defense. Like, we had Sam Gold on, uh, I think, midway through the year. He broke it down. And I've talked to some other people who know the defense really well about it. Like, Jamal was doing a lot. He was. At the same time, though, to justify the transaction and the, the contract, you got to have him get into the quarterback. You can't just concede defeat in that way. To be like, well, hey, man, we tried to put him in the last scrimmage, but they blocked him. Excuse me? No, 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 no. You can say that about, like, Blitzing Bobby or Jordan or Ugo or Quandre or something like that or some of your other guys. You cannot say that about a guy you give up two first-round picks and gave $17.5 million per year to. You need to find a way, put your freaking heads together, and get him near the quarterback. You just have to do it. You have to. Otherwise, it doesn't... Why do that deal for that, for the, with that, to allocate those resources for that player? I just don't think that's a good use of resources if you're just going to have him be quote unquote like traditional strong safety. You got to use him differently because he is different. He's built different. And I think to basically concede defeat after one year, that was mm -hmm. it. Teams got one offseason to scout how you guys are using Jamal and figured the whole thing out and rele relegated him to like the split safety stuff. I don't think that's. That's that mean that's getting out coached. They got out coached. I was say, yeah. The new yeah. coordinator and the new passing game coordinator, whatever, they need to figure that should be damn Bobby. Figure that part out fast. Cause that's good. If he's a elite pass rusher like he was in 2020, the defense can be close to elite. But if if not, then no, they'll be like you said, Chris, like 17th. Like I said, maybe max out at 12. As a pure football decision. Not talking the Hall of Fame retired aspect into account. Is Bobby a better option than what the 17 million can get you to improve the team? The 17 million that person's referencing, I think, is if you were to cut or trade Bobby, you save about 16 and some change. Um, he's a 20 million dollar cap hit, but the rest of that is paid out as a bonus already, just to clear up some of the math on that. Uh, as a football decision, I, I think so. And here's why 
I think just from a purely football standpoint, I don't trust them to use that that money wisely otherwise. You know what I mean? Like if I give what's we'll the the Seahawks have about 50 mil to spend 51. If I give them what's, what's 51 plus 16, Chris, come on, you got it. 61 67? 67. If I give you 67 million and and I say, "Hey, you guys need a middle linebacker. You need pass rushers, corners, free safety and o-line do i trust this regime to bring me back talent hell to the no like hold on do i have this let me pull my phone up here because looking at this chris do you remember the 2020 offseason here is how they spent i think 52 million dollars let me see if i got it here in my in, in my notes um here we go here it is in 20 the 2020 offseason right so this is the year they signed greg olson Right, so heading into 2020 season, oh, they, right. had a, they had about 52 million dollars in 2020 caps, like spending. Right, so they can sign guys to deals, but like here's what, here's how the cap hits added up to the 52 million that they used. Right, that offseason, 9.3 on Jaron Reed, 6.9 on G Reg, 5.9 on Bruce, 3.5 on BJ Finney, 3.5 on Brandon Shell, 3.4 on Quentin Dunbar. It was via trade. 3.3 on Jacob Hollister, 3.3, or excuse me, 3 mil on Benson Mayoa, 3 mil on Carlos, 2.5 on Mike Ayupati, 2.2 on Cedric Abui, 2.1 on Brandon Jackson, 2.1 on Demo, and then another basically a mil on Geno Smith. That that all that right there, eight fifty million dollars. They signed like one one impactful new guy. B Shell. Yeah, B Shell. That was it. Brandon Finney, that? BJ Finney never even played. Sent him back to Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, no, they sent him to Cincy in the uh okay. But the point is 50 million can dry up with the wrong it could dry up really quick and you get you don't get impactful players um, with the with the wrong front office. So I think that from a football standpoint, you have to consider who would be spending the money you save on Bobby. Like that's a lot of players that they have to try to fill voids for. The extra 16 mil I don't trust. I expect that 16 mil would just be used to overpay somebody that's not worth it. That probably doesn't even fill a need. That's my lack of faith in the the front office in that way because they kind of have 52 million right now, a very similar amount. And the last time they had that much, that's what they got back. A bunch of guys who didn't have much impact and who aren't even on the team no more. So that so from a football standpoint, yes, I think it's probably better to just have Bobby. Are Carlos Dunlap and Daryl Taylor good enough to be? starting defensive ends or did the Seahawks need to bring in another premium pass rusher love Taylor's potential and Dunlap was great when he didn't have to drop into coverage anymore that's another good question I think so I think that if you were to say bring back Rasheem maybe who's not like premier he wouldn't fall into that category but if you were like I right, we we draft a guy we got Rasheem we got DT we got Alton Robinson we got Carlos Dunlap I'm okay with that you know, maybe th- at that point you take some flyers on some other guys, you know. Um, but I- I- I'm okay with that because I think I said, I think Daryl's got some superstar potential in him. I think he's nasty. And I think Alton, if he gets more in the rotation and isn't asked to be a Sam linebacker and drop into coverage, I think he's got some some potential. These guys are young too. Like I think Rasheem Green turns 25 this spring. DT's like 24. I don't know how old Alton is, but he's in the same draft as Daryl's. We can't be that old. Um, and then obviously Carlos is on the older side, but I think having a vet in there That's good. Is, is, is nice to balance that out with some of the other pieces that they have. So yeah, no, I think I think that's okay. 
I don't think the pass rush necessarily needs an overhaul if you change the scheme back to kind of where they were before. Yeah, that's because what I was thinking. This whole, it goes back to what somebody told me in free agency last year. They was like, they said, Mike, actually they called me Michael Sean. That's how they knew it was real. They were like, hey, Michael Sean, if we lose KJ Wright, oh, that's man. like losing two people. And you see what that, how that manifested itself in the 2021 season. You saw guys doing things that KJ was doing last year, not as well. You saw Benson guarding Najee Harris on the goal line on Pittsburgh. That's not something, not to say like, you know, KJ's like, I don't know, he could probably guard Najee on the goal line. But like, the point is, Benson's not. And that was unfair to Benson to have him do that. Uh, and I think the staff even admitted that later. You know, you see Carlos Dunlap out here trying to jam slot receivers because he's the strong side backer on that particular front and setup. No, it's not his thing. You know, um, I just, I think that, man, the, the way the scheme was set up really hurt the pass rushers. And if they just got to be pass rushers again, I think they would be a lot better. I think the only guy who's really equipped to do the whole Sam thing is Daryl Taylor. I was going to say, that was my next point. Goddamn athletic, man. Yeah, he looks like he can do it. He just needs a little bit more guidance on how to be there and what to look for. But from what I saw watching the tape, watching the games, he has the speed, the quickness. He just needs to be coached up a little bit. And maybe, for example, having a KJ Wright, showing him the ropes, who knows how elite this kid would be. But Dunlap, he was brought up in that. I do think, even though I think it'll be a... 13th year next season is that yeah, right something, something, something like that yeah, yeah i do still think he is definitely someone that needs to be starting with the seahawks defense because when he's out there pass rushing he's dominant he and gets he's to the quarterback also, he's also six foot eight and he puts his hands up i think he led the team in passes batted and he, he didn't led the league in passes batted and the crazy part is he really wasn't doing that the first half of the season he mentioned it in the post game three weeks ago or two weeks ago talking about you know, I didn't get my opportunities that I wanted, but basically I I talked to those guys, Pete, and I told him, you know, this is kind of what I want to do. This is kind of what I'm seeing. Can we get back to that? And we saw that. He got back to that. He was rushing the passer. He was causing havoc in the backfield. And what do you know? Carlos Dunlap rushing. Good things come out of that. Daryl Taylor, he had a good season. Can he get better in certain areas? Absolutely. But I do think those two guys are definitely going to be premium pass rushers for the 2022 season. And I'm hoping they don't put them in coverage as much. Whereas I could see Daryl Taylor doing it. He just has to get better. I don't want to see Carlos doing it at all, to be honest. Unless they're going to send another linebacker or safety or corner. I don't really want to see Carlos dropping back because that's not something that he is great at. He is great at getting after the quarterback. And we saw that. That's not why he's been in the league 13 years. Is because he can, you know, drop and be covering slot receivers. Exactly. That's not it. For to to um, to get the stack 100 correct, Carlos was third in the league in passes batted at the line of scrimmage. He tied with T.J. Watt. They both had six. Cam Hayward of Pittsburgh had eight. Like Emmanuel Agba of Miami had 11, which is absurd. <laughs> but like, yeah, that shows you. Yes, Carlos can impact games. He won them a game batting a ball. Yeah, at the line of scrimmage against the Niners, I believe, because yep. whoever Jimmy was throwing to was open. Oh, yeah, on the whip route. <laughs> yeah, he was going to catch it. It was that whip route out, and he was wide and open. The, uh, and then Shanahan said they were going to go for two, and they were probably going to get it, and that would have been the game. So, game. Yeah, I think I'm, I think those guys have um, the talent. Maybe you add some rotational pieces, but I don't think you need to, like, I think people want them to, like, pay for, like, Chandler Jones or something. I don't think you necessarily need to. You can if you want. 
I don't think you need to. I think you have those pieces there. Who do you think was responsible for early season coverage bust miscommunication among DBs? Um, you know, coverage busts are hard to, I mean, I don't, I'd have to know the call. I have to know what a guy was thinking on a particular play, but I, I do think that, um, I think early on, because they didn't have a lot of busts later in the year. Um, I think they had like one major one against the Rams on one of those long third downs that I think was Ugo's fault. But I think earlier in the year, it was just really clear that guys were not comfortable with the scheme and what they were being asked to do. And Trey Flowers made that very clear after the Vikings game. He he made it very clear one of two things was true. Either he didn't know the scheme or trust his role in it. Right? That, that was it. And that's why they shipped him out of town. Um, and I think he's like, is in the Bengals rotation or whatever. So um, good for him, you know, finding work and still being able to play in the division around this weekend. But um, I think that there busts were a problem last year more than anything. And I think that was a communication thing, not having preseason guys getting hurt, stuff like that. Incorporating Jamal who's such an aggressive player this year. I don't think that was as much of the problem. I just think they, it just didn't seem like they knew who they wanted to be coverage wise. You know, like even DJ re talked about it. He was like, yeah, we got more aggressive, you know, in the, in the second and later in the year, that's why we were playing so much better. And that stuck out to me. Uh, and then I think that's when I asked somebody about, Hey, wait, is that who, who's, who wants to be more aggressive than a Pete thing than a Norton thing? I um, mean, it sounds like now we got the answer. Um, but I think that was just deciding between, all right, we're going to be bend on break. We're going to be aggressive. What are we going to do? I think deciding between that philosophy was a bit more impactful than just like uh, who had a lot of bus. I don't think they had a lot of bus um, in the secondary this year, which is why I was kind of surprised to see Andre go. So I thought he had guys doing all right relative to who he was putting out there. John Reed's and Les Austin's and stuff like that. Like, I don't think they had a lot of bus. I think they just didn't have a lot of talent down the stretch. I think it comes also down to execution, just the plays called, but not so much a bust, but miscommunication, kind of what you hinted at. And that's all I'll really add there. But they got to figure something out or is this going to be the same story as throughout the regular season? They just got to find out who they want to be. You know, if they're going to be this in a t- attack mode, get attacking personnel, get a coordinator who agrees, and then execute. I don't think they had all of those things last year. For whatever they're missing, we can debate it. But I just don't think they had all of those elements to make that work. How much could another defensive coordinator and different assistants get a defense up to speed sooner into a season without two-a-days or full-speed contact practices throughout training camp? I think if they get the full off-season work, like, remember, last year they didn't go to OTAs because of COVID, I think it was. Um, but if they get that on-field work, don't have to rely on Zoom. Get the OTAs, the veterans show up. I, I think they'll. I think they'll be okay. The tricky thing, the, the tricky thing, I think you'd have to worry about a little bit is if they were to not have Bobby, that would be a problem. You lose your captain, and then if they sign Quandre, but he's not ready to go and be on the field because he is kind of like their secondary captain. So not having him in the back end could could be an issue. But I think getting up to speed won't be the problem. I think you just need the reps. I think that's where this might be the year where the guys play in the preseason. Mm. Like, for example, if they, you know, get a new coordinator, it's like, look, we got to have you out there. We got to get some of these live reps. Maybe like Bobby still doesn't play, but, but maybe he plays like a drive or two just to get the feel, like just be out there, make the checks, let these guys hear you call it. 
see how the, deep, the offense reacts. That's not our offense, you know, stuff like that. Maybe joint practices would be the time to do that. Then if you don't want to play Bobby or Quandre or some of your veteran guys, Harlos, but I do think you, you just need the reps. I don't think that being, being new stinks kind of, but ultimately you just need the reps. And if you got the veterans out there, you can get guys up to speed. Again, I don't think they had a ton of busts this year. That was, that was a problem in 2020. I don't think that was much of a problem uh, in 2021. If the Hawks' new defensive coordinator is more secondary focused, does that affect how Jamal Adams is used? You know, I'm not sure. I don't think it necessarily they're back, that the new defensive coordinator's background matters. I think this Donatel guy might be a secondary guy, which is probably why um, someone asked that. Let me see. What's his background? Um, yeah, I think he might have been like DBs or something like that for uh, – Vic Fangio somewhere else or something like that. Yeah, it was a DB coach. Oh, he's been a DB coach forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like a guy like him, if he's the DB coach, that probably means using Jamal slightly differently, but I, I don't think the background matters as much as, man, is that dude an evil genius? You got to be an evil genius to figure this out, man. You got to use... you. Because the, the frustrating thing about how they're using Jamal is I do think there's so... There's examples around the league of how to go about uh deploying a dude with a unique skill set like that buddha baker honey ba honey badger yeah. buddha baker derwin james like there are guys out there you might look how did they use him now some of those guys a little different i think buddha and jamal are somewhat similar somewhat similar yeah yeah um honey badger not so much he can really sticky cover uh, but derwin you know is very similar to i think to jamal in in that regard and when you have those type of players, you know, even Jalen Ramsey, to some extent, like the way he's used, like near the line of scrimmage, because he's so physical in the run game. That's very similar to Jamal, I think. Um, not as much as the the coverage part, obviously. But I just think there's so many examples out there that you can use. And I don't think the person's background has to be in DB play for them to figure that part out. Because when you're the coordinator, you have to know every part anyway. You have to be able to know the linebackers. You have to be able to coordinate the run game. You have to be able to work with the guys in the back end. Um, I just think it's imperative for them to change how they use Jamal, at least adjust or add to how they, maybe not change, add to how they use Jamal, whether that guy's background is special teams. You just have to do it. You cannot spend that level of resources on that dude and not have him get after quarterbacks. It's just ridiculous. So um, I, to answer the question, I don't think the background has to matter. You just got to be willing to try something. Be an evil genius and find out a way to get Jamal Adams to the goddamn quarterback. Can the new defensive coordinator stop having D linemen drop in the coverage? Can yeah. they stop having cornerbacks give wide receivers so much space? Uh, on a D line dropping in the coverage, that's going to happen. But like Chris hinted to earlier, I think what the, the problem was, I don't think they were doing it enough with blitzers filling in. Like, I really think a good example is, I think it was the Bucks game uh, in the wild card round of the playoffs. They dropped the Bucks dropped like Vita Vea and maybe someone else. I forget who. Maybe she Barrett. Jason, Jason Pierre Paul, maybe? Maybe that dude who played for UW, Joe something. Oh yeah. Um, um I know you're talking about I forget his name. Yeah. Joe something. Yeah. Yeah, Joe something. <laughs> I forget his name. It doesn't matter. I'm wearing, a, I'm wearing a Coog hat while we do this show. I could care less about a Husky's name, to be honest. But they dropped those two or whatever, and they brought like both their safeties. I think it was like Winfield and um the other safety. Can't remember. Mike Edwards, maybe, I think. But maybe this was the Niner game. Either way, 
what happened was they dropped their fat dudes, rushed their skinny dudes, and got to the quarterback. And that's what you need to do. Like, if you're going to drop Carlos here and there, and you're going to drop Puna Ford, okay, cool. Send Quandre, send Jamal, or send, you know, a corner. Least, they used to blitz Trey Flowers. He was a good blitzer. He had a couple sacks. He um, had two. Yeah. Blitz, blitzed uh, Shaquille Griffin in the playoff game. Him and Shaquille uh, got a sack. First time in yes. history. <laughs> right. So, I mean, you can... And, you know, Shaquille had a couple sacks. Shaquille had a sack his, a sack his rookie year, too, on um, uh, Dak, I want to say, as well. So, like, you can – I'm all right with dropping the fat dudes because it's a it does, it's a changeup. You know, the center is at the line of scrimmage. It's like, all right, he's coming. He's coming. You see him communicating with the quarterback. And the next thing you know, Vita's gone. And Jamal comes. That Yeah, that's, that's fine. I just think that you have to do it that way and not just like they were doing against Pittsburgh, dropping eight, dropping nine – I don't necessarily rock with that. I think because you have to simulate the pressure elsewhere if you're going to drop your big dudes into coverage. But I still think it should be few and far between, man. Like, that's not what they get paid to do, bro. Puna's not in coverage. That's not his bag, bro. Stop yeah. asking him to do that. Uh, and I think I do think that's that's something when they evaluate. Um, when they evaluate, I don't necessarily can guarantee that it'll, it'll stop happening as often, but I would hope that it looks different. Like in this new attack mindset, that if they are blitzing more, that you will see some guys dropping, but it won't just be like, let's just drop eight dudes and one of them's Puna. All right, we're, st- we're still only dropping seven, um, but one of them's Puna, one of them's Rasheem Green, but we're blitzing Quandre and Jamal, right? Like that, I think you're, so you're still getting a four-man rush. I think I like, I think the new coordinator is more likely to do stuff like that because that is fits the attacking mode thing without, you know... Um, we're still finding new ways to like drop guys and like disguise your coverages and stuff. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And then the second part was regarding the DBs playing so far off the receiver. I don't have the answers to it, but I would guess that's maybe a personnel, players and coaches, something they got to figure out because there are certain situations where I watch DJ Reed. He's doing something different than Sidney Jones. While they're in the same scheme, DJ Reed is comfortable with doing this. He might be playing up more as opposed to Sidney Jones is giving eight yards off. That could be communication with coaches. That could be DJ Reed knowing that I can lock this guy up. I'm not worried about it. I'm not sure the conversations that are had on the sideline between coaches and players in that regard. But I think that comes down to situation, situational. Maybe Pete, go ahead. Well, um, I think some of it is like, depending on what the coverage is, one of them's the cloud corner so they can they can be they can afford to be, be in the up. flat yep. yeah you know whereas the other guy may be playing something different. like you know if they're in cover six or something like that yeah you'll you have know, one high and one low yeah they might be playing cover four to one side cover two to the other side and if one guy's a cover two side then he can afford to press his guy maybe to the boundary or whatever however it's aligned depending on who the receiver is whereas the other guy has to bail because he has that deep fourth you know on his side so it, it depends I do think that um, it's, it's a lot of guy, how guys want to play, who the receiver is, the down and distance. I don't think a lot of Seahawks, factors. Yeah, I don't think the Seahawks are unique in that way. I asked the people at Zebra Technologies who track that stuff. They couldn't tell me because I don't think I subscribe to them or whatever, which is fine. Um, but I don't think the Seahawks are that unique in that like their guys are playing off at the line of scrimmage at a different rate than everyone else. I think it's it's frustrating because when the third down defense was bad and you're like, God, it's third and eight, why 15 yards off? You know, like I do get those things. But if you notice, the third down defense got a lot better. Yeah. Right. So I do think that um, it wasn't as much as the scheme was bad. 
they needed to, well, the scheme was a little off, but I think they did tighten their coverage a little bit, specifically on third down. And you stopped seeing that being much of a complaint. We stopped getting questions about Mike, why are we, Chris, why are we 10 yards off? We stopped getting that after about week four because they stopped doing it and they fixed their third down defense. So I think that's one of those things, again, in the attacking mode, you probably will see more aggression, more pressing, stuff like that, if they have the personnel to do it. I think DJ Reed and Trey Brown can cover their asses off. Hands in people's faces, getting there, getting right up on guys and covering. What if they don't? What if Trey Brown's recovery takes a little longer? Would DJ Reed signs elsewhere? Maybe they will have to have more of a go back to a softer scheme. Who knows? Um, but I think in a perfect world, you bring back DJ Reed and Trey Brown, you can be a little closer to guys on the line of scrimmage. Why was the midseason correction for defense needed twice? And how, excuse me, and how do the Seahawks avoid this? For this upcoming season okay I, I do want to be clear about this and i think so other people have made this point they didn't suck on defense for an entire half of the season this year they were bad for like three weeks it, honestly like two weeks they were fine against the colts and they stunk against the titans and they stunk against the vikings um and they were fine i thought against the niners they were a little better um they had a hiccup against the rams which makes sense a little bit but still kind of inexcusable at the same time so that's like two and a half weeks of bad and they were fine they were fine against pittsburgh after that they give up what 13 points to the saints seven to the jaguars after that held aaron Rodgers to what three through four through three and a half quarters or whatever in green bay washington only scored however many points 17 yeah yeah not much so i think the defense was it figured it out much faster. Whereas they stunk through about nine weeks, you know, in 2020 and 2020, that's way different. This time it was only like the first couple weeks got Trey flowers about the paint, um, got Trey Brown in there and we're fine. I don't think it was like last year where they were telling us, yeah, we had to basically do like a kumbaya in week 10 and get it together. No, they didn't have to do that this year. So I do think we got to repaint that narrative in that regard. Like they didn't just stink for two halves and back-to-back years. They did have a slow start in both years, but I think it's diff- they're different slow starts. In one respect, they stunk till like November. And the other one, they were fine by like October. And I do think that's important to know. Can 12 Seahawks fans really expect Pete to hire someone who would push back or not run his defense? Would Pete Absolutely actually- not. Absolutely <laughs> not. You're not, who, who are you gonna, you gonna hire somebody to not listen to you? Get the hell out of here. Like, even if I disagree with how Pete get down a little bit, I'm not stupid. I'm still a human. If I ran the company, the last thing you're going to do is get hired to not listen to me. Right? That's just, for real, that's just, I mean, even if I do think there's some, there's a little bit of flaw in the execution of that, he's still, we're all still humans at the end of the day. If it was our name on the marquee, which I guess his name isn't Seahawk, but you guys get what I'm saying. He's the head coach. Like, at the end of the day, if I'm running the show and I hire you to work for me, you come in here not listening, you know, or you're all discontent or whatever. You know, insubordinate. I'm gonna get you up out of here. Like there does have, there does have to be a you listen to me type of thing at play here. And you know what? That's the burden. That's why I'm probably so critical of Pete more than anybody else. I'm probably probably the most critical person on the beat of Pete now that Joe Fan's you know doing his Vegas thing because he is the guy at the top. You do run the special teams and the offense and the personnel and the defense, and so. I know these guys work for you, and some some of these guys might be bad at the job. Some of them might be good. Who knows? But at the end of the day, when I'm not sure, I'm gonna just go to the top. Yeah. Um. So, the answer to that question, no, he's not gonna. 
as much as he might say, like, I need the guys who can be honest with me, be honest with me. No, you don't, bro. I don't believe that. I believe Tater, and that's it. I believe Tater's the only guy who can keep it funky. I think everybody else, they know they have to walk on eggshells a little bit because he's the boss. He can fire you. Everybody listening to this show probably has a boss. You can't just go up in your boss's office talking crazy. Hey, yo, no, I think you have me stack the boxes this way, bro. I just don't want to do that like that. I think the boxes look cooler stacked that way. All right, well, Steve, you're fired, right? Like, that's just how that works. I don't think Pete's going to hire people in that way to push back. To push back. Like, he says it, but I don't know if that from people I talk to, I feel like the execution is not there on, like, putting people around him who really challenge you know, some of the core principles that probably need to change for the franchise to be better. And our last one, how do you think Coach Hurt would do as a defensive coordinator, considering he'd be an in-house kind of hire and knows this team pretty well? Yeah, you know, I'm probably a little biased because, like I said, I talk to a lot of these assistants and I would like to see them get a shot um, because I just think they have a good mind. You know, like just talking to Clint a little bit, I have... You know, you can tell, and this is not even a secret, you could tell sometimes when guys are not feeling sometimes what the plan was once. Like, I think he was even on our show. Yeah, he talked I, about it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he talked about what, Kyler was, Murray rushing the passer and that. Correct. The, yeah, 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 it was it was the it was the it was the Kyler Murray game, the first one, the Sunday night yes. football game, 2020. Yes. They lost mm-hmm. in overtime, and it, it was the worst pass rush performance. I think I asked him about it, you asked him about it. He had three, I think they had like three rushes, something crazy. It was, he had like 50 dropbacks, maybe like one hit. It was zero quarterback hits and 50. Zero, okay. Yeah, Yeah, that's probably the worst pass rush performance ever, like of all time. (laughs) Disgustingly bad. No joke. And, and, and I have to go back and listen to Clint's answer, but it, he almost implied like, yo, I really wasn't on board with that plan. Because that, that, that probably wasn't what we should have done, you know? And that's good because that plan stunk, right? So, like, that shows me it's like he knew at least that plan stuff like <laughs> now i don't know his philosophies and everything i don't get a chance to talk to these guys too much talk to them a little bit um but i would just like to see it i do think what i what's important i think with some of these guys specifically guys who know the roster really well they're in-house hires and even if you don't know the roster i think you gotta you it's gotta be based on merit Everything's got to be based on merit. Play a guy because he gives the Seahawks the best chance to win on that day. Not because you coached him or his father or his cousin or you recruited him or you like his shoes or you bench a guy because he made you mad once or, you know, not to say that Clinton does any of these things. Let me be very clear. I just think in general, whoever they hire, and this, this this would be, I would tell this to him too if you ever ask my opinion like your job is to play whoever makes the Seahawks better because people get in dog houses all the time and we see it on other teams too like oh this guy's in the quote-unquote dog house he's not playing because the coach this he's not playing that like I felt like a little bit of that happened with Carlos Dunlap this year when he threw the shoe against the Packers remember he threw somebody's yeah. shoe on a penalty 15 I yards like, yep. I feel like his snaps just dropped after that and not to say that that was Clint's call or Ken's call or whoever's call I just feel like that can't happen. The stuff like that can't happen where, um, oh, we mad at Carlos, so we can't play him this much. It's, no, play Carlos if he gives you the best chance. Oh, so and so cussed me out at the film session. He stormed out. Nah, oh, man, you no, no, no. Play his ass if it helps you win. You know, and I, I do think that's not just on. See, there's a lot of teams. I hear about stuff like that. So it happens in college a lot too. You see guys get in the doghouse 
why so-and-so didn't play in the first half? Oh, violation of team rules, finds out he was five minutes late to a meeting. I just don't think that the stakes – I think the stakes are too high in the NFL. You play the best guys, play the best guys, independent of their draft status, independent of what you traded for them for the most part. Um, hmm. you, you just have to play the best dudes, and that's tough, right, because you got scouts, you got John Snyder, you got Pete Carroll, you got other coaches. You can probably got a lot of voices in your ear, but I think for Clint, whoever the guy, that would be my advice. You come in here, make it about merit. Make it about who practices the best. Make it about who help, gives the Seahawks the best chance on Sunday. Not about draft status, not about trade, not about veteran, nothing. Make it about who gives them the best chance. I think if you do that and you combine that with some of the things we, we, we've talked about, they could be okay. You still need to draft better and get some better personnel. But in terms of the coordinator himself, that part is what he can control. So I, that would be my advice and my hope if Clint got the job. Okay, okay. I know I'm that was good, right? I feel good about that answer. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for it, Clint. Clint, Clint definitely knows his way. I'm curious about the relationship with him and Pete. I'm curious, like, would he would he be willing to kind of take a back seat? Because I don't know how much control he has with the position that he was in as the D-line coordinator, D-line coach. I'm sure he had a lot to say, but what does Pete have to say in that regard? And now Pete's saying, oh, we're going to elevate you to be our defensive coordinator. Does that change? Does it stay the same? That would be interesting to see. And maybe Clint's all for it. Or maybe he's like, and this is, of course, if they offered him the opportunity. Oh, he would jump at it if they. Okay, good to he know. He would to jump be a defensive at coordinator for, I think he said that on record before. I'm not even reporting that. He said it. Okay. Well, then knowing that information, maybe he is that next guy up, and I'm all for it. I just don't want to be in that position where he doesn't get to run the defense how he sees fit with the talent out there. Because if Pete is, of course, in charge of all that, what is he really doing is he just going by what he's being told does he have autonomy to run sets run what he sees thinks run what he sees could work against this offense coming up whatever the case may be so hopefully i'm asking a lot here because we've seen it for years and years pete's just gonna do his thing and fire you if it doesn't work out his way because as mike <laughs> said he's not firing himself so i'm all for it we will see what happens the offseason just kicked off for us baby we are just getting into it I think I think we need to know what like what personnel said they have in the draft too. Coaches don't get a ton. I think they do a lot more UDFA stuff, but like that matters too. You know, like who like I want to know in terms of like if Clint got the job. Like, all right, well, so what stuff did Clint control? Like, I know he was big on getting Puna Ford, right? Because he yes. he recruited him. But like, did he get some input on the LJ thing, the Malik McDowell thing? You know, Rasheem Green's role has kind of changed. It was like different in all four years of his like of his career, like. Did, was that a Clint thing? Was that a Pete thing? You know, the Carlos thing. You mentioned that Carlos basically complained to the coaching staff, like, hey, man, I want to rush the passer. That's what you guys told me I would do. What did he do? Rush the passer later. Who was in that meeting? Was Clint there? Was it Ken? Was it Pete? I don't know. Um, it's stuff like that. It's little things. Like, who had him dropping in the coverage? Right? Like, who had Brian Monet dropping in the coverage? Right? Like, I think even Jared Reed, when he was here, he was dropping. Like, who did that? Was that a Clint thing? Was that... Uh, a, a Ken thing was that a collaboration? I, I think we have so many questions like that we'd have to answer um, to know for sure like who's going to be a good leader of men and a good and a good schemer. But like if I was to be able to set people down, I would have those. I would get those answers. Like hey, which one of y'all drafted LJ? Let's talk. You know, like you you have to have those type of discussions and figure out who was who was benching who who was playing who who wanted to do the the the, the bare front as the base three four chains like who did that 
you know, who did that and decided we don't need KJ if we're going to do that? You know, like all of these things, there are questions we need to answer to find out who would be good. But yeah, I think, you know, I, I give Clint a shot. You know, like I said, we talked for an hour, we're about to wrap it up, but I don't think the, who the coordinator doesn't matter. I don't know. I don't think so. Um, but I do think the guy who you do need to have, if nothing else, he needs to be able to make do with not a lot of talent. Cause I think you should just assume they're not going to be the most talented defense in the, in the league next year, not even probably top five or top 10, but can that guy take a top 15 talented team and make them top 10? Yep. If that's the case, hire that guy, whoever the hell it is, whatever the scheme is. If you don't got that, well, Chris, we'll be right back here in January 18th of 2023. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been another episode of Seahawks Man to Man. We want to thank all of you out there for listening, watching, combination of the two. We really appreciate it. Also, heads up, Mike, we just hit 1,200 subscribers. So we we're climbing, yeah. So we're climbing up that mountain on the road Yo. to 2,000. So we appreciate you guys for telling a friend to tell a friend about the show, all the comments, all the love. We're seeing it. We appreciate it. Anything you want to add, Mike, before we shake? No, that's dope, man. That's 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 super dope. That's 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 love. We appreciate you guys. The cadence slows down in the offseason a little bit. Probably about goes two shows a month or something like that. But well, there's breaking news every week. Yeah, when it's big news, we're gonna try to talk about it because as you can see, we can go long on certain topics. We'll probably talk about Russ at some point. What's going on there in the offseason? Give me a little time to do some more reporting on Russ and some of that stuff before I talk about it on the on the show. But. Um, yeah, twelve hundred. That's dope, man. Yeah, road to two thousand. Let's let's do it. See yes. if we can get there before week one. That would be a that that would that would be love, man. We appreciate you guys. Um, we'll all be watching the defensive coordinator search together. We're gonna see. My guess is probably Clint Hurt is probably um, hired, but who, who knows? Um, we'll see. But we'll be watching it with you guys. Maybe we'll come back home when they are hired. Who knows? Um, but until then, we'll catch you guys later. We appreciate appreciate the love. Catch you guys next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.